Hello, and welcome to the Dad Jeans Podcast. My name is Didon, and along with my co-hosts, Brian and Harris, each episode will try to unpack, examine, and discuss the DNA of healthy fathering. While all three of us are fathers, the road to fatherhood has been different for each of us. It's our hope that those differences and the perspectives they bring will only add to the conversation. Thanks for listening. In this episode, Brian checks in from paternity leave, and Harris and I welcome friend of the pod, Demetrius Key, to sit in as a guest host. We talk about grief and some of the various ways it impacts us, our approaches to coping, teaching, and using it to make a difference. But before we do all that, let's check in. Fellas, what's good? Yay. What's up, man? <laughs> B. What's going on, D? What's going on, fellas? Man, listen, 2021, we made it. I yeah. mean, yeah. Barely. Hey, you know, that counts. That counts. So, I mean, six days in, we had an insurgent. So, I mean, hey, man. We, we, we here. Hey, keeping it spicy. Brian, how's paternity leave going, bro? I mean, does that really even exist? You go. You know, it's that's called COVID. I mean, so true. Um, It's interesting because I was able to get two days, Um, and so that 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 was rough. Um, You know, I got the birthday, and then that following day, and then the weekend, but. What makes this different than when Nas was born is that since we're all working from home, um, to be able to have, you know, engagement throughout the day uh, makes it feel like every day is paternity day. So it's just hard when you have to balance being on a work call or work meeting and then you hear somebody yelling downstairs (laughs) and you got to turn the Zoom off. And then you have to uh, turn the camera off and open the door and be black dad. Um, but it is, it's, it's a balance, right? That's been the hard part is trying to strike that balance between sanity, um, rest, uh, and, and being effective. So how, how long so yeah, did you, how long did you get off? Um, so, you know, I, I didn't really get any, any time off. I mean, and that, and that is, that's, frustrating but it's also kind of the nature of the job um and starting a new job yeah uh you know it's kind of hard to then come in and say hey i need a month off Mm. but they were they were they were really understanding and i tell you one of the best parts about working in covid is that we are now at a point where you know Nas runs up in here or if i have to cancel a meeting because of you know just you know wanting to support pfizer that folks are understanding so so two things. One, how long did it take you to train Nas to bust in your meeting at exactly the time you needed? So you could be like, oh, I, I got to go, y'all. My son needs me. Like, Listen, Nas, I was, Nas, plan- was 10 minutes I, late. <laughs> I was planting that seed when we found out we were going on pandemic. I mean, you know, I was like, Nas, listen, I just need for you just to just bust in, just bust in. I tell you, it, it's, it's so good to see you, brothers, and it's so good to be back um, on the pod. But it's funny because like he'll buzz up in a room and you don't know what you're gonna get, right? Because I listen, this kid now is opening doors. And he is so smart, he's figured out how to open up the childproof doors. And so he'll just bust in and some days he'll have on pajamas. Some days he'll just have on pull-ups. One day he came in here and I was just like, 
he was like, Daddy, I'm naked. I was like, <laughs> I was oh, like, wow. Son, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's it's the joy of still being able to be partially engaged while working. I, I see that as a blessing. And for the yeah. birth of both of, 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 of my kids, I had an opportunity to be able to pour in more time with them than my dad was ever able to do, right? So it's just something where I'm just like, this will pay itself forward in some way, shape, or form. And so see it as a blessing and embrace it. I, I love your wordplay, bro. For, for, for those of you who, who aren't paying attention, when Brian says full-time parental engagement, it means that kid could cry at any moment. It don't matter what your day had planned. At all. Yes, at all. At all. And even if they're not crying, I can just go ahead and say it. And they, folks just got to accept it. And folks just got to accept it. Question. So this second time around, yeah. Um, what's different, if anything? Man, listen, it's a game changer. Two changes, everything, right? Because with one, it's like, all right, go to sleep at seven. We got a date night until 11. Watch some TV, enjoy it. Nice glass of wine with two. It's like, look, you got the little one. I got the big one. Let's go. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of coffee. It's limited sleep. Like, I see my I see my wife in passing. And we in the same house. Mm. Right? And so that's been tough because then you began to really start to think about how do we make time for us? Mm. And oh, y'all that still really... trying to do that? That's <laughs> That's how you got here. <laughs> right. You ain't exactly, learned nothing. Right? <laughs> I love you, babe. I love you and enjoy spending time with you all the time. So that's just been the biggest change is being able to balance, mm. right? When, mm. you know, you put in eight hours of work, but then you see your wife who put in eight hours too. And so it's like, just because you closed that laptop, don't mean that it's go down there and just have fun with the wife and kids because one of them is really tired. Yeah. So just balancing all of that out, man, it's, it's, it's been, it's been tough. The other big difference is COVID and not being able to see the in-laws. Mm. Right. That's been like, is that a plus really big. or is that a minus? I'm not sure. Which man, side. listen, I made the mistake of saying something before about the in-laws <laughs> and one of the holidays, holidays a little different. So oh, that's fun. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, our in-laws, they quarantined for two weeks okay. um, prior to the birth. And nice. so they spent a month with us, which was great. And that gave our house a little bit more life that allowed for us to kind of get into a pattern where, you know, I, I, I do the night shift with the little one. So I'm up until midnight, one o'clock with the little one. And then, you know, that gives Pfizer some time to sleep. Then Pfizer comes down, um, and then she spends a, like a number of hours. And I, I'm able to get five hours of sleep, and then wake up and get ready for work. So, like with the in-laws being in, they were able to kind of just help us like navigate everything from ordering groceries, like what's the best time to do that, like <laughs> managing meals. Like we just try to cook things that are easy. Like we ain't trying to do no more elaborate quiches, pot roast. Like, look, we about to get one of these rotisserie chickens. We're going to have rotisserie chicken on Sunday. We're going to have pasta and chicken on Tuesday. On Wednesday. Chicken carcass. I don't even know what. Yeah, we listen, we're going to put them bones in some broth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I got it. 
Yeah, exactly. But like I said, it's just really good to, to see y'all and, and engage. And, you know, I really missed like learning as a father. Like it, it, it was something with not being two and a half, just learning every day with him. But then like to relearn and, and Savi is different. Yep. Right. So it's just like, it's that metacognition, like it's learning on top of my own learning. Yeah. Right. So like folks are just like, yeah, you're going to hear your, your baby girl cry and you're just going to console her and want to love her. And it's just like, nah, I want to figure out what the heck she crying. Like, you know, so it's just kind of figuring these things out. But mm. And they definitely had their own personalities and own, you know, habits. And you're like, oh, wow, I thought yeah. I had this down. No, no. And no one really talked to me about regression. Mm-hmm. Look, now I saw baby girl the first day and was super sweet. A week later, man, he was a baby Suge Knight. This kid was just like, I ain't doing nothing y'all ass. And I was like, buddy, mm-hmm. go pick up your toys. This kid was like, no. And I was just like, pick up your toys. He said, no. <laughs> and we don't spank. But I've been considering it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you got spank eyes. You just be like, mm. I got that spank hand too. And then I'm just like, no. Mm-mm. I promised. I promised. I right. did. I did. We talked about it in the podcast. I know. I can't. I can't renew. I can't renew. So B, uh, we know that you are on call. Yes. Uh, feel free to hang out as long as you like, but when you got a role, we totally understand. Um, Appreciate it. And we we plan for it. We have a special guest host uh, yes. for this episode. And uh, it's kind of dope. It's kind of dope because not only does he he fit with, with today's topic when we start talking about grief, but this is uh, someone who has been listening since day one, uh, gives us feedback, whether we like it or not, but uh, also has, has, has been one of my friends for, it's crazy that I'm old enough to have friends for over 25 years, but, but this cat has been, uh, has, has been one of my aces for, as, as long as I've had a deck. So, uh, Demetrius, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, man, Glad man. to be here. Yeah. When we say, nice, again, nice. day one, I mean, listen, he has been on this journey with us, and we're just blessed to be able to, like, finally interact. And since y'all can't see us, it's four of us now, and there's a, a bald head click going on, and I'm not a part of that because I'm trying to keep these waves from the 2000s. I got a wave, and I think I might... Why are you squinting? I said I have a wave. I, I'm looking for that one. That's cold blooded. It's, it's in the back, Harris. It's in the back. The tide got it. The tide got it. But right. DK, man, it's great. It's great to it's great to live with you, man, and have you here with us today, man. It's real. Yeah, you know, like I said, my pleasure. Glad to be here. And you know, Dion's not lying when he says day one. We met literally the day we got on campus. Oh, nice. At Howard in 94. Hey, man. I, I told them I graduated class of 2012. You ain't got to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now we know yeah, all you did. Like, dang. That was the like, last thing I needed. That was the last episode senior. of the Cosby Show, y'all. In and, and 94, Demetrius gave my elementary school class a tour. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. So have folks been congratulating y'all for Kamala's vice presidency as if y'all had something to do with this since y'all went to Howard. I just want to know. Listen, I actually think folks have been trying to keep their distance Hmm. because Howard people tend to be very, very, now let me tell you about me 
And so, yeah, you, we don't really wait for the congratulations. We we starting to give you top five lists of Howard or Howard alumni, and, and we put ourselves on that list. So that's funny. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. I saw a cat that's do that funny. actually. Yeah, no, it's it's been a mess. <laughs> I've just been laying low. Interesting. Everybody, so. they just see you and they just be like, oh, like, <laughs> just, just, just say it. Just, just they see a bison out. and they just, oh, exactly. exactly. Yep. <laughs> hey, deal with it. Deal with it. We, do, oh. we deal with y'all during football season. So you deal with us for the rest of the year. Exactly. What's that got to do? What, what you mean? Listen, Howard football games are all about the band and the cheerleaders. And y'all got a band. football team? Allegedly. Uh, listen, oh, they, got, they got scholarship they got athletes. People that play football. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do good people. This is good Soccer. people. <laughs> anyway. You know, so Sanders going to change all of that. All right, continue. One of the things that we do each episode is we have a question of the week. And uh, the question of the week is good because when done right, it gives us an oh, opportunity to, to warm up, <laughs> to, to, to dig into our creative juices, and, and it allows our, our guests to, to feel that energy as well. When done wrong, it's a spiral uh, into a mess of oblivion and head scratching. That what I kind of setup is this? Listen, the the setup is get it right because I'm giving you the I'm giving you the options. That's cold, man. After not seeing hey, y'all, look, I you've been fine. D Don's the only one that have had. Look, when D Don goes, he has to do extra editing. So go ahead, you got it. Now, I encourage right, yeah. y'all to think. Mm. Man, no, no, no. Twenty appreciate you. Anyways, focus. focus. Here's. Here's a question. So if you guys haven't had a chance to, to watch the Tiger Woods documentary, I would highly recommend it because the first part of it really talks about his relationship with his with his father. And so one of the things that they started to unpack is that um, Tiger's father was committed to turning his kid into a machine. And by way of either working to build him up whether that meant to break him down or whether that meant to pour in. And so the question that I wanted to ask is who is able to check you? Like who within your social circle is able to check you when pouring into your kid may be perceived as going overboard from those on the outside looking in? So let me ask a clarifying question. Is it, check me in general or check me specifically as it pertains to the way I raise my kid? That one. The, the specific way that you are raising your kid. Because when you watch the, the doc, there were a lot of enablers. And Earl Woods was very strong. He was very dominant. And I think that that was a byproduct of no one really being able to step in and just say, hey, just let your kid be a kid. Okay. Good question. I'll jump out there. So today, let, let's let's deal with today. I have no problem with Ella's mom checking me as, as it pertains to the plan. Now, I may still do what I'm doing, but if she plants a seed, it'll grow, right? I'll, I'll give it the energy that it that it takes. So an example would be if we're working on a math problem 
And I think Ellen needs to focus and we need to sit here and get it done. And, and Tamika says, hey, maybe you guys should take a break. I, and there have been times where I've gone both ways. I've, I've taken the break and then I've said, nah, we good, right? Um, but she knows that, that at any point she can step in and be like, okay, uh, Ella, go in the other room and call me and call me, tell daddy he's tripping. You know, um, but that was that was a relationship that we developed um, because we have the same plan for Ella. Um, she may go left, I may go right, um, but we we have the same plan. We definitely have different ways of going there. Um, and a real life example is I wanted Ella to play chess. I really wanted Ella to play chess, and, and I thought that it was if we just and the the way that you play chess is to get beat a lot. And it just wasn't working well with Ella. She liked playing with me, but she didn't like the idea of losing to her peers. Mm -hmm. And more so than an unsavory taste in her mouth, it was impacting her, her image of how she saw herself um, that, her, that she communicated to her mother. Because with me, it was like, eh, I'm just mad. But she would say that to her mom. So we talked about it. And what we, we came to the conclusion, you'll finish this season um, cause this was like a chess program. You'll finish the program and then you don't have to do it anymore. We're not going to quit anything in the middle unless you are physically or emotionally being harmed, but we're going to finish this thing out. We're going to thank the person who, and the people who contribute to your, you're doing this program. And then we're just going to find something else. So, um, that's about it. Um, every once in a while I may go to my boys and say, Hey, you know, a, B, C, D, E, F, G. And now, you know, they'll tell me, oh, you're tripping. Or, uh, okay, that's D-Don doing D-Don things. Because um, I'm kind of known for just being kind of out there sometimes. But um, definitely her mom. And and to a, a lesser extent, my circle, if I bring it to them. Okay. I'll jump in. So my answer is probably the exact opposite of that because it's first my circle, like my crew, uh, specifically D-Dot a lot of times. I'll call him or hit him up uh, when I'm, I might be struggling with something because I'm the type of person, I'm logical to a fault to where I, I can't see outside of like math sometimes, you know, like situations like A plus B equals C all the time. That's, it is what it is. And I ain't got time for your feelings. So, I know that the rest of humanity typically isn't like that. So I'm able to, you know, kind of step back sometimes and, um, you know, hit up D-Don or hit up the crew on, on the little group chat. Um, Demetrius, before you, you go further, yeah. do us a favor and create some context. Let us know uh, how many kids you got in their ages so they can start to make the mental picture. Oh, okay, sure, absolutely. So I have three kids. I have a 20 year old son who's in college a 17-year-old daughter who is a senior in high school and a five-year-old son who is, you know, in kindergarten, all virtual because California is out of control with that COVID. Mm. So um, my older two are from my first marriage and then uh, the baby is from my second marriage. Um, so, you know, my crew has known me longer than, you know, both of the, the mothers of my children. And 
they, I, I would say, know and understand how I think a little bit more. They may not agree with it, but they get it, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, D-Don will quickly tell me like, yo, you are tripping. And it's not that like I, I push my kids like abnormally hard or anything like that, but sometimes I don't allow for them to necessarily be a kid or necessarily like think outside of logic um, because, you know, they'll do stuff and, you know, because they felt this way. And sometimes that's hard for me to understand. Like, I don't care what you felt. Like, this is the rule. You broke it. So now you're in trouble. So, um, yeah. So I would say first my crew and then to a lesser extent, their mothers. Um, But I mean, nothing bad against them. That's just my comfort level. I'm actually a little sad that you um, jumped in before me because you took my thunder um, (laughs) about the crew piece. Uh, So, again, since college, I think we all brought up a a good point, which is the people who know you. uh, And for me, the people who know me are the people who've seen my patterns. So have seen me in different cycles of life, seen me at my ups, seen me at my downs. um, The ones that could say, all right, Harris, last time we were here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, so is it as much of them as it is you? Uh, so the people that only small group that could do that um, have a small group of trusted fraternity brothers who um, we just we've been raising our families together. You know, we've been together since college and then we're all uh, kind of accountability partners to each other. Um, so the only thing that I would say would be different is probably my therapist. Um my therapist has been, I've had my therapist for going on 10 years and talk about somebody calling you out on your patterns, uh, you know, and, and also projection, you know, cause there's a big part of therapy that is built around what they call your, your, your little boy, you know, your inner child. And a lot of the parenting that you haven't done for yourself, um, you know, sometimes we try to overcompensate or parents that you didn't receive, you know, through the hard times or whatever, we try to overcompensate with our children. So, um, you know, yeah, when she kind of says, you know, take another look at that. It's like, okay, okay, all right, all right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, stop talking, because I don't want you to say it. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'll say, you know, the, you know, D-Don uh, as well, D-Don and B, I mean, we're, hell, we're on a damn fatherhood podcast together. You know, if you can't, if you can't, uh, um, you know, check the minds of the people that you're doing that kind of work with, there's a problem. Um, but yeah, so that would be my, that'd be my short list, my long list, my short list. So you hit on two of mine. One, excuse me, my therapist. Another is, uh, are you guys, um, and, you know, of course, FISA. <clears throat> And some friends in 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 the circle as well, but my mom's too, right? Because there there are often times where it's not that I am trying to circumvent or bypass that of 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 FISA, um, but sometimes what my mother is able to do is take the forty plus years, the experience with her husband, my pops, and just you know just it kind of smooth it out. Right. But also call it out. Right. We talked about this before when, you know, Nas wanted the ice cream cone 
and I didn't give him one. And then he came in the house and bust his lip open and I gave him one and my mom called me a sucker. Right. So it's just like, you know, in, in, in the presence of, of, of my mom being able to take all of that and be honest and real, uh, she, she's definitely another person that's, that's in the, in, in the loop as well. So <clears throat> thank you guys for definitely pouring into that question. Like I said, if you haven't had a chance, definitely watch the, 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 the first part of the Tiger documentary because you begin to feel sad for Tiger. Is it like right? a real documentary or is it like yeah. the OJ joint? Well, I mean, I'm I'm saying, yeah, like I was there. I mean, you know, it's all salacious, right? It, it's it's all HBO, but oh, okay. there's... No, I mean, like, is it like a reenactment or is it... No, okay. no, right. it's, 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 it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep, so... So, Brian, let me ask you a yes or no question. Oh boy. What was Earl Woods successful? That's a great question. Right? That's a great question because if you look at the longevity of Tiger's story, that's yet to be seen. Like, is all of his success and wealth worth what he may have been missing? Was right? Joe and Jackson so I, successful? Well, let me let me just say because I went to Howard and Kamala Harris is the vice president, I know that I Kamala. ask excellent questions. Kamala. I'm asking you, you to answer right. the question. You ain't answered the question yet. You better say her name right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, no. No, okay. No, uh-uh. Because all the wealth in the world, I don't think it 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 would equate to a hole in a void Right, because everything works well until it stops working. And so you never know how it will affect his kids by way of looking into the history of their father and his friends, like the kids' friends, and knowing like the backstories of all the like all of that. Like I don't I don't know. I don't know. Okay, cool. Appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, fellas. Good question. And I man. wish I had a lighter, a lighter one to ask, but I appreciate that. But next time around. Nah, man. Nah, 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 nah. That's that's good. It it like I, I was joking about Joe Jackson, but um, you know, they're those stories. I mean, what about you know, Mr. Knowles? Um, yeah. you know, you look at Beyonce, you know, another version of the story. Um The Williams sisters. Right. Right. So, I mean, I want you got to wonder, is Tiger different? And if we do think of him as different, um, why? You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I also think that it depends at, at what point in his career you're looking at. You know, if you take Tiger Woods 15 years ago, you'd be like, of course, he's successful. You take Tiger Woods 10 minutes after he got the back of his Escalade uh, busted out with a golf club, probably not. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And then fast forward to, to most recently, he's back on top of his game and his son is there to hug him. You know, uh, I think the beauty is that we, we get more than one act, hopefully. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting question that the answer will probably change throughout his life. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, fellas, it's been real. Um, I do. I just got a text. So, you know, I'm on call. Uh, hey. hey, 
Do you think man? Go ahead, do the same damn thing, man. But no, it's good to see all of y'all fellas again. And and, and I don't want to be too <clears throat> far removed from from reconnecting again. So I know y'all, I know DK is gonna hold the torch. Well, we'll see about that. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> y'all re- y'all representing Howard. Don't let them down. Hey man. I, I might be representing the football team. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, peace out, fellas. All right, Take care, man. Take care peace. of that wave, bro. You the only one, you the only hope man. we got left. <laughs> I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna work on it. Peace. Treat it right. <laughs> All right, man. So listen, as as we transition to the topic of the day, uh, this is a topic that that was close to your heart, Harris, um, and that you've actually been interested in doing for a while. Um, so I, I want to to give you an opportunity to unpack your why for this topic and to introduce it to the group before we uh, go back to Demetrius to hear a little bit more about him. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so I really wanted to talk about grief uh, and and for a few reasons. Um, the one that's most evident right now is um, my father's birthday was just a few days ago and uh, my father passed away uh, 11 years ago to... Um, February 9th, it'll be 11 years, February 9th. And so this season is is a real reflective time for uh, me and my family um, for, for both of those reasons. And we can't even, that's just the beginning. Um, the year that all of this happened when my father passed, that same year I lost my aunt, my brother, my cousin, all within about like a four month span. So uh, whenever it's the beginning of the year, I, you know, it's not like I'm in, in a dire place, but I do become reflective. So I said, you know what? I'd, I'd really be interested in hearing the journey of, um, of you brothers, primarily because it's a, I feel like it is different. Like now that I'm a father and I have children and you know, you want to kind of explain it to them and, and make sure that they don't get blindsided, like in some ways that I felt like I might have been. Um, but then another funny thing about fatherhood is when you try to do these preemptive strikes, usually the results end up a little different than what you expected. You know, like my children, I just feel like they're morbid now and they just so comfortable talking about death. Uh, like that, that wasn't my plan. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we could talk about all of that a little bit more. So I did a quick Google search and uh, pulled up a description uh, searching for like, you know, men in grief. And this thing came up. It said men are more likely to grieve in isolation. Men often will pursue activities to distract them from thinking about their grief. So I don't know if that describes us, but I'm interested in finding out. Okay, before we dig in, let's let's learn a little bit more about our guests. So, uh, Demetrius, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, so, I, I I told them who you are to me, but um, I want you to speak it in your own words and, and let us know who you are. Uh, first, by taking a moment to share your, your six-word memoir. Okay. And then, and then digging in a little bit in terms of what that means. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, I've been just kind of anticipating the whole six word memoir thing for a minute, but, uh, I think shortly after I was asked to be the guest host, 
it kind of popped in my head within like a couple of hours. So my sixth word memoir is born in Shelby, raised by hip hop. Now, anyone who knows me knows that that is dead on, like in regards to just describing who I am. So born in Shelby, I'm from a small city called Shelby, North Carolina. It's about 45 minutes uh, west of Charlotte. If you've heard of Shelby, more than likely, it hasn't been anything good. So I'm not even going to get into the details, but yeah, it ain't. <laughs> it's not been anything good. But like the thing about Shelby is that it encap encapsulates so much. Parts of it are country, uh, which like, I, you know, I was technically born in the country. Then we moved to the suburbs. I went to school in the hood. And like, so I know how to navigate all of that. You know, I definitely have some some country tendencies about me. Uh, I enjoy living in the suburbs and uh, as educated and as eloquent as I try to speak, uh, there's definitely still some hood in there and it might come out at times when uh, it's tested. So, uh, <laughs> and then raised by hip hop. I know that sounds weird, born and raised in Shelby and being that connected to hip hop, but it, I, it caught on like I called on to it early on. Uh, I'm not sure how I was introduced. Uh, one of my cousins, uh, you know, Crush Groove and uh, Beat Street Break-In, uh, uh, you know, all, all those movies. But, um, you know, hip hop itself is, is just is smart, at times woke, sometimes funny. It can be grimy. It can get you hype. And like I can just think about any time in my life and relate to like that to, to hip hop. Like you tell me a time like, oh, seventh grade, you know, I know I was listening to D-Nice and Eric B and Rakim. Like, oh, senior year, senior year, I was, you know, hooked on Wu-Tang, uh, their first album dropped and, uh, you know, Tribe Called Quest. So any point in my life, I can point to what I was listening to in hip hop. And, uh, you know, people try, people in, in our generation try to say hip hop is dead. It's not. You know, because a lot of the artists that we listen to are actually still making music. We just actually have to go get it, you know. And right. so. Uh, well, the like hip hop the, that we like. Right. Right. And, and and I try not to be that that grumpy old dad, you know, because I got teenage kids. Well, well, my oldest is 20 now and, uh, you know, my daughter's 17. And so they know who Wu-Tang is. Like they know because, you know, the Bible tells you uh, you got to train the kid up in the way they should go. And in Wu-Tang. Hey, you know what? I take what I can. I was can. wondering how that was going to end. I was, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I was born and raised in the church. So, you know, some of those philosophies stuck to me and it's not necessarily related to religion. You know? So, <laughs> but I try not to be the grumpy old dad, like, oh, all the new music sucks. Now, most of the new, 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 yeah, new music does suck. However, I give it a shot. Like, I try to listen to it and I do find new artists that I actually like. So there are some new hip hop cats that I roll with, that I'll listen to their music, but the mumble rap, nah, I can't get with it at all. And my kids, they listen to a little bit of it, but they still can appreciate the old school original hip hop. Quick question. What yeah. song did you make your older teenage kids listen to? Uh, like, no, you need to sit down and listen to these lyrics. I know you have one, at least. Scenario. See? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But then especially like as, as they started to get older, well, you know, before they were actual teenagers, 
I had to go and purchase edited versions of everything. Oh. So they weren't listening to like the real version. So I, I, I spent some, some money on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> You're such a better <laughs> father than me. Edited versions of the songs. Cause you know, kids are sponges. And I, I'm sure they hear cussing in school, but like, I don't want it to get back to their mom. And be like, well, that was on daddy's song. Thou shall not let your child listen to all the chambers of the woo in, in, exactly. in their original glory. <laughs> exactly. Fair. Meanwhile, I'm like, art is different from life. That's art. Don't do that. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what's up. Yeah, man. So you were raised in Shelby. You currently are in California. How did that happen? Ooh, okay. So born and raised in Shelby, uh, hit DC in 94 at Howard University. And um, I, you know, like some people do, ran out of money. I didn't have, I I didn't want to be in student loan debt forever. And, uh, you know, ran out of money uh, to finish my education. So I decided to join the Air Force, which is something I contemplated doing before I ever went to Howard. I I thought about going to the Air Force. So joined the Air Force uh, as a computer programmer, got stuck in Nebraska for eight years. Uh, But um, the mother of my older kids is originally from California. And so after I was done with the Air Force, I knew she wanted to, you know, move to California to be closer to her family. Uh, I always wanted to live in California. So uh, in 06, we, you know, moved out here. And I've been out here ever since. After eight years in Nebraska, she get to go wherever she want. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I thought the winter in D.C. was a little bit of a culture shock. Mm. Nothing prepares you for winter in Nebraska. I remember one time uh, being stuck in traffic. Uh, There was an accident uh, on the freeway and uh, I was extremely annoyed. I knew I was going to be late for work. I had already eaten my break glass in case of emergency protein bar that was in the glove compartment and forgot to replace it. and so, of course, I'm in the car stuck. So I called D-Dot. And originally, he starts complaining about the weather in D.C. I think it was probably about 25 degrees or something like that. While I was sitting at negative eight. Oof. Exactly. So I, I, and I remember that conversation vividly. Like, bruh, like I'm sitting at negative eight right now. You can, I'll take your 25 You're degrees. You're like, I don't want to hear it. Exactly. <laughs> I walk out to get my newspaper in your 25 degrees. Right. With shorts and a hoodie. With shorts. I knew it. And flip flops. <laughs> so, my man, I got to ask you, uh, in response to what Didon said earlier, you know, he kind of hinted at, you know, you being the perfect person, um, you know, to do this show with us. Why, oh, why do you think he chose you uh, to do this show on grief? Well, because uh, I've had a lot and uh, it was early on. So, um, you know, my first personal experience was with my grandfather. My grandfather died uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, 1988. And the thing about that is that he was 70 years old and he died in his sleep. And to me, that didn't make any sense. And like I said, I've always been kind of living my life based on logic. And 
So I started to kind of lash out a little bit. Like I, it, it was just, it just seemed like, like that wasn't right. So I was mad at God, like, yo, like what, why? There, there was nothing wrong with him. He wasn't sick or anything like that. And so that was, you know, kind of my first uh, brush with it. Then uh, 92 comes along. And now I might be spilling a little bit of tea for anybody listening to this who don't know my whole story. So I'll go ahead and throw it out there. So the man that most people know as my dad uh, is technically not my biological father. Uh, so Pastor Williams uh, has been with me since I was, you know, probably less than two years old, I think. Uh, but um, my biological father uh, passed away in 92 at the age of 37 from a heart attack. And that made zero sense to me. Like, how does a 37-year-old, apparently healthy, slim, athletic-looking man die from a heart attack? You know, and that that really kind of, I think, changed my course in life. Uh, and, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit more of that later, but it's affected me and, 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 and impacted me in good and bad ways. But um, yeah, to me, that, that didn't make any sense, you know, 37 years old, heart attack. And, you know, I, I was 16. So I was really looking forward to being able to like kick it with him more. You know, because most of the time I, I spent, uh, you know, with my with my parents, with my mom, my, you know, technically my stepdad. Um, and, you know, this is the 80s and 90s. There's no like visitation schedules and stuff like that. It's, you know, whenever there's time, like your daddy come and pick you up. Like so, <laughs> um, you know, I was looking forward to getting a little older, you know, being 18, being able to drive and, you know, kick it and fish. And, uh, you know, because that, that was one of the things we did together. So that that hit me hard. And. Um, and then the following year, about a year and four months later, um, my best friend in high school died, 17 years old, died from asthma attack. So that, that hurt, of course, you know, so I had to deal deal with that grief because how does a 17 year old dude die and, and it's not a car accident or you know, something like that. Like, you know, he had had asthma issues and we knew it. Um, you know, one time I remember freaking out because he had an asthma attack while um, he, he was in the marching band. So, he, um, you know, he ended up having a really bad attack on, on the field during the game one time and had to go to the hospital. So now that's the grief that I had to deal with before Didon met me. Since then, uh, you know, two more deaths, uh, you know, it really hurt. So I have a, um, my, my uncle Calvin uh, was married to my aunt Joyce. And so I always have to say this part slow so people don't think it's anything weird. So my uncle Calvin and my aunt Joyce get together. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle Calvin is like, hey, my brother likes your sister, right? So my dad, my biological father is my uncle Calvin's brother. Mm-hmm. My mom is my aunt Joyce's sister. So two sisters got together with two brothers. Okay. I always have to say that slow because people think like, wait, what? So of course their kids are my double first cousins. Mm. 
because we have all the same grandparents. You, you gonna have to find a different way to say. It. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Understood I don't know how the words you said, but it still got dicey again. It's still right. <laughs> yeah. See. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's why I try to do it slow. Run me the um, paperwork. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so Uncle Calvin had a son, Calvin Jr., and uh, his nickname was Pookie. And he and I were real close. We we're only four years apart in age, but that, that was my dog. Uh, at, at my first wedding, I was the cat who couldn't pick a best man, so I had two. One was Pook, the other was D-Dot. So, uh, but... He ended up getting killed at age 20. Mm. And that hurt. Like that, that was a pain. You know, of course it hurt when, when my grandfather died and my best friend died and my dad died. But when Pook died, that, that hurt like deep. So, so let, me, let me pause you right here because I want to spend some time with something you said. Okay. And Harris, feel free to jump in if um, sure. to share as well. So by 20, you, you've had um, some incredibly close um, experiences with loss. Can you recall who, if anyone, helped you navigate these situations or, or how you just kind of worked your way through them? Uh, no, like I, nobody necessarily help me, I, I worked my way through it. And that's just kind of been my personality with everything. Um, I, I've, you know, I've had some mentors and uh, sought some advice from people, but like I've always just kind of kept quiet and try to figure it out in my head, you so, know, so go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, so what did that look like? And I know you used to play sports. Um, were you leaning more into your sports? Were you reading more? Were you more extroverted, more introverted? Like how did it, what did it look like since you were doing and, this work on your own? Okay, and this is all still pre-Pook, right? Which, whichever you want to you wanna, um, dig into. Yeah, so pre-Pook, uh, um, I, I kind of dug into sports, you know, uh, especially like, you know, when my dad died, it was my junior year in high school. Um, I just focused on football, basketball. I kind of stepped back from my friends a little bit. Uh, I, at the time I was a straight A student, I made a B, the teachers freaked out. Like, oh, something's wrong. Like, yeah, something's wrong. Like what, you know, <laughs> like I lost my dad. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was just more, didn't really want to be around people. Didn't really want to deal with people because I, I was just trying to figure it out. Cause it, like I said, it, none of it made sense. And, you know, my, I just kept thinking like, ah, if I get too close to this person, then I may end up losing them. You know, and then um, so, yeah, but when when Pook died, like I won't say that I was depressed, uh, like clinically, but it it was probably pretty close, you know, because by by the time Pook died, I already had, I had a kid. So, you know, my oldest son was he wasn't even quite one yet. So the, the kid didn't, you know, didn't necessarily have to deal with that because, you know, he's one year old. He doesn't know anything. Of course, you know, he can feel the energy or whatever. But like that was confusion. That was rage because, like I said, he got he got killed. He was shot. And so th there was a lot of rage uh, built up. And, you know, like I said, I was born and raised in the church. My whole family is 
Christians, and they were able to, you know, forgive the guy and tell me that, you know, you can't hold that anger in your heart. And I basically told them, yes, hold I my can. beer. <laughs> like, yes, I can and I will. Mm. Question. Yeah. Well, so observation, you know, while we were preparing for this, um, this show, I came across a kind of a breakdown and it said that, um, you know, first you have loss, uh, which is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. And uh, then you have grief, which was explained as kind of the the internal experience that you have. And then finally, you have mourning. So if grief is the internal expression, mourning would be the external expression. And I, I think you 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 def you hit on all three of those, right? You you hit on, you know, the loss. You hit on the, kind of the the turmoil and the anger and the frustration. Um, so, have you ever thought about the difference between what you were ex- what you experienced internally, and then how you actually dealt with it externally? And this could be any of the scenarios, but you know, like, did you find yourself acting out, or did you find yourself um, you know, uh, did you use it as something to help others? Like what, what would you say was the inside stuff? And then, the, uh, and what did it, uh, how did it manifest itself outwardly? It's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I, it's a kind of a two part question because, um, um, like someone was saying earlier, like it depends on the time. It depends on the debt, you know? So like with, um, with my dad's death, I eventually turned that into helping others in regards to health. And so like, I am super focused on health and wellness, like probably to an insane level. Um, but like, I, I want to help. I, I would jump in to correct you, not insane, just irritating as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that later, but uh Yes, with my dad dying at 37, that has definitely uh, been a part of my path that helped me to help others. Now, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit in regards to how, um, you know, sometimes it was negative. So the last death um, that, that I'll mention right now was my Uncle Calvin. My Uncle Calvin, to me, was Superman. He was the biggest man I knew. He was the strongest man I knew. Uh, he always had these little gems of wisdom he was extremely hardworking. Like to me, that was just a pinnacle, uh, you know? So there's probably some, you know, warped sense of masculinity in there too. Cause like I said, he was big and strong, had tattoos. He was in the military too. So like, to me, like I said, that was Superman. Mm-hmm. And he died suddenly uh, at age 53 uh, from a heart attack on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that, that one hit me like, okay, if if Superman can die, I don't have a chance, you know, because the the life expectancy. If if you just go down, you know, from my dad, grandfather, great grandfather, and so on, the life expectancy is like fifty seven years old, you know. Just to give you a quick rundown, my dad died at thirty seven. My grandfather was sixty four. Great grandfather fifty one. Great great grandfather sixty two, seventy eight, and fifty. Like though. You know, the, the average life expectancy, I think, of Black men is, is what, 67? 
something wrong. So, yeah. you know, one of my ancestors got this, got there. So um, at that point, when my uncle Calvin died, I really convinced myself that the family was cursed, um, you know, because all of those men had died young. My uncle died young. My cousin died young. Several other uncles died young. I had been diagnosed with high blood pressure right before I went into the military. So in my head, I was next. So it, it, took, a, it took a bad turn because like I said, I, if, if Superman can die, what chance do I have? So I actually started to withdraw from my kids. So me and their mom weren't really, you know, getting along anyway. And in my head, because I told you, I, I try to put everything logical. In my head, if I'm not as close to my kids, whenever my, I meet my eventual and probably soon demise, it won't hurt them that bad. So I poured myself into work and to working out. It didn't help that I was working at a gym. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so I, I was pretty much at 24 hour fitness, uh, 12 hours a day. Wow. Cause I was, I was working my eight, nine hours, but I was also working out for three hours. So that, that didn't help anybody, you know, cause it was just rage lifting and, and, you know, yeah, sure. I was helping other people get in shape and all of that, but it had nothing to do with my grief. It was just, me not wanting to, you know, just kind of thinking to myself, like, yep, I'm, I'm next. So it, uh, it was pretty detrimental. So what was the turning point? Like, what was the, because, you know, the rage piece, you, you can only rage for but so long. And mm-hmm. there's usually a moment that you kind of have to be like, okay, this isn't good for anyone. Yeah, so... um I want to say it was when I ended up, so I had to have surgery on my throat. Uh, I had, um, I don't know if they had completely diagnosed me with sleep apnea just yet, but I I know there was an issue like with my breathing, especially when I was asleep. So they, you know, took out my tonsils and um, uh, like shaved some part down or whatever. And they, um, they were whispering, like the docs were whispering and they were like, does he know? And I'm like, hey, I can hear you, know what? And so apparently on, you know, they had to do an EKG and it, it showed that at some point I had had like a slight heart attack. Wow. And it clicked that as much as I had said that I was going to die next and convinced myself that I was ready for it. When, when I heard that, I was like, yo, whoa, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it, I kind of turned it around and, you know, basically said to myself like, okay, I'm not ready to go. My kids need me. I'm going to live twice the age of everybody else. So my goal now is to live to be 116. Okay. Okay, Methuselah. Hey, it can happen. <laughs> so, so for the record, Key, the, the reason why I thought you would be a, a great guest host is not because of the the grief that you've suffered, but because ultimately because of your, your decision 
to to turn things around in terms of how you processed it. I think that's dope, and it's not something that we see very often um, because we don't we don't learn, um, or at least I didn't learn how to process grief. And and I don't even know if I've had real conversations with Ella. Um, Harris, I, I don't want to leave you alone. You know, one of the reasons why we chose this topic is because you're. This is a season for you. You know how I, I was going to get all scot free. Nah, buddy. How, um, <laughs> how, how is this for you, particularly knowing that you have two little children who are watching you? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do you honor your father or the memories of your father while also, you know, knowing that you're you're in, you're in a teaching mode, but you're also being very closely observed. So it there there are a lot of different ways. Um well one thing that we do every year we go to my father's grave and we replace the flowers. You know, so that experience just being a part of their uh their life. We always do it on Memorial Day. Um so just kind of seeing them year to year gain more understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it uh, is for me, one of those kind of long-term ways of just kind of it growing as a part of our uh, life. And, and because of that, I think that's where the questions come from the, I wish I, I wish I knew grandpa kind of deal. Um, With Nisia, before we even, you know, got even thinking about talking about, you know, my dad, uh, we bought her a fish. And like Mallory and I actually had this joke that the only reason why people buy their children fish is to talk to them about death. Um, that fish lasted, <laughs> that fish lasted about two weeks. Oh, she killed it. And um, we, you know, and it was so funny because we were ready to kind of just walk her through and yada, yada, yada. And as far as she was concerned, man, her play thing was gone. Like it was a wrap. We, you know, we were going to do like a little fish syrup, um, fish funeral and she just oh, wasn't wow. interested uh she was just like ah, well uh, next toy so we, we let that one ride and then uh, and then uh, i would say the one that they felt the most uh because they got to see their mother grieve is when we lost graham their um their great-grandmother uh mallory's um mallory's grandmother so they got to witness they got to go to the funeral, you know, and it was it was a thing, you know, like their grandmother bought them dre- matching dresses to wear to the funeral. And it was just this experience that the whole family um, processed together. And there is where a lot of discussion of, you know, uh, where she is now and, and the fact that she's no longer in pain. Um, and I, I never forget like a couple weeks later, um, our, our youngest Stella was like, I want to die because, you know, we we're talking about how good and how happy, uh, Graham is. So it was almost like, uh, um, you know, this, this amusement park at the, <laughs> at the end of the struggle. Um, and it was like, no, don't ever say that. You know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, I'm, I'm teaching, I have to allow our children to be at the stage of development that they are. Um, but there's, there's this constant uh, space of 
you know, just wanting them to be children, wanting them to fully experience their innocence, but at the same time to to be aware of, you know, their life. Because I want them to be, you know, you want them to be healthy and safe. So um, all of that's to say that it's it's this journey. The way we explain it to them is through life experiences. I know my father was a pastor, so I was going to funerals, uh, you know, as long as I could remember. Um, so death just always seemed to just be a regular part of life. Uh, but it's not like that for him, for them. You know, it's it's major events for them. You know, as we were talking about this topic throughout the week, Demetrius, I think one of the things that you said was that, you know, we think of grief as it relates to people dying, but that's not the only thing that you can grieve. And it's weird because your comment caught me on the wrong week. Um, so a couple weeks ago, my daughter started asking her mom about my father. And so Tamika calls me and says, all right, so Ella wants to know about your dad. And I'm like, okay, um, well, there's nothing I could tell her. So I, I call one of my sisters, I text one of my sisters and I said, listen, uh, Ella wants to, 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 she's been asking about, you know, your father. Um, he and I don't, don't have a relationship, don't talk, but can Tamika have, you know, the number? She gives the number and then uh, comes back a little bit later and was like, eh, that wasn't a good idea. Let's just forget about it. And so it what it what I realized that I had done is I had neatly put whatever my version of my feelings about my father in like a folder or like a book and put it on the shelf. And that experience like knocked the book off the shelf and may and forced me to deal with something that I had not dealt with, particularly certainly not since since I had become a father. And it resurfaced and the book fell off the shelf again. And this week I was even madder because I was like, I just put this book back on the shelf, you know? And um, I realized that as a kid, I don't think I ever grieved or lamented not having a father. And I think that may have been because I didn't want to, to make my mother sad. You know, if I'm sad because I don't have a father, this woman who's out here trying to figure out how to throw a baseball so we can both learn how to catch a baseball, you know, she's doing it all, you know, good, bad or whatever. Who knows? She's here. And me being sad about not having a father would just make her sad. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, while my father, from from my, my understanding, is is alive and well, there's absolutely grieving that 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 needs to happen because while he may be alive, that role as father in my life, you know, didn't happen, and and I and I maybe need to to spend some time with that. So I mean, this is this is a really complicated topic that that I think is valuable. And the, you know, people say that there's two things I always here. I ain't gotta do nothing but stay black and die, or the only thing that's guaranteed in life are death and taxes. You know, either either way, dying is pretty much a guarantee, but it's the thing that we talk about the least, and we certainly don't talk about how to deal with it. So I have two things I want to 
say to that. One, uh, I don't remember where I got it from, but I do remember hearing that uh, that grief is the price you pay for love. Huh. And that, you know, it's almost inevitable. Like if you love something, if you love a concept, if you love a person, eventually there will be grief because there, you know, will be death. But one of you is, is, <laughs> is, is going to die. But um, also I would say that it's something that I think we have to deal with. I, 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 and, and I'm not sure if this is the actual name of this episode, but I do remember seeing like in the notes or something about leaning into grief, because I personally think that's exactly what we have to do. We have to lean into it. I, I tell my kids, like, feel what you feel, know why you feel. And that's the only way you're going to get through. You know, I, I, I tell them that, that you know, grief, will, it'll guide you. So some days it might tell you like, hey, look at old pictures of this person. Some days it might be like, you know what? You need a hug from somebody. You, you might need to call this person to kind of get in a better mood. You know, like I, I, I do it all the time. Like I, I start to get like in my feelings or sad about something. And I'm like, okay, I need to call someone. I need to, you know, FaceTime one of my kids or, you know, something like that. Because similar to your situation, Harris, I never thought of it as a season, but it is a perfect way to put it. Mm-hmm. The, the week... Uh, between September 25th and October 8th is I think it's technically 10 days, but it's horrible for me if, if I let it get to me because September 25th is the day my dad died. September 29th is my uncle Calvin's birthday. October 2nd is when my grandfather died and October 8th was Pook's birthday. Mm. So the end of September to the beginning of October I can kind of get in my feelings. Yeah. And I I either withdraw a lot of times or I start going crazy in the gym. Mm. Now, like most of the time I'm good. Like I I can balance it out. Like I I can ride the waves of sadness and everything. But just to give you an example, this year, this year was a little different because September 25th was on a Friday. And that's only happened, I think, four times. Uh, because when my dad died, it was a Friday. He was, and, and, and I know this because he was on his way to my football game. I thought he was in the stands. I had no idea that he never made it. Uh, so, like, you know, I played a game. We won. It was against a rival. Of course, the football team, we're kicking it afterwards. I get home. Wonder why some the light's on at the house. Because, you know, my parents and sisters typically should be in the bed. And it was my mom, she stayed up, you know, to tell me that, that my dad had died. So, like I said, it's only happened about four times where it's been on a Friday. And when that happens, I replay that entire, like, Dang. game and week in my head. Sure. So, I'm, you know, typically just kind of sad. And, you know, my, my kids, I, I've told my kids all of this, so they know. So, if, if they're thinking about it, you know, especially now, you know, they're a little bit older, uh, so they might forget, but like if they might like send me an extra text saying, I love you or, you know, whatever. But like this year, like I said, it was on a Friday and I inadvertently made it worse. The day before I was watching the uh, Challenger documentary, I think it's on Netflix mm-hmm. um, about the Challenger spaceship. 
Right. And they, you know, going through everything. And the day that it was supposed to launch was January 26th, which is my father's birthday. Oh, man. So I wasn't even thinking about, like, I was just focused on a documentary, thinking about, like, you know, me mm. as a kid, remember seeing the damn thing explode. But, like, I, I wasn't, even though it was, you know, within a few hours, I was not thinking about my dad at all. And then they showed the date of the original launch date, January 26th. And I'm like, that's my dad's birthday. You know, and for people listening, they'll also know January 26th is the day Kobe died. It's it's funny that you bring up how life scenario, like how things just happen in life, um, how they trigger uh, different emotional states. So like when my father passed, I felt like I was I was I was I was actually kind of shocked that you know I was like, where's the grieving? You know, where's the crying? Where's the moping? Where's the? I just didn't feel all of that. And um, one of my, one of my older mentors was just like, you know, just try to at least make some time because if you don't make some time to do this processing, it's going to hit you like in the supermarket one day and people are going to be like, why is he crying in the super aisle? Right. So I, um, I was cool. I was cool. I was cool. And then my brother passed, he had pancreatic cancer. And um, they got to it too late because, uh, like, he was living in Ghana. So they just thought it was malaria because, you know, oh, my stomach hurting. So by the time he figured out what was going on, a lot of the damage was already done. And um, and then he passed. And I was like, okay, you know, that it, I felt like now I was starting to feel the pullover from my father because it's like my, my brother chipped away at something that I, I wasn't ready for, right? Because my, my dad had, um, I felt like I lost my dad a lot earlier than when he passed because he had dementia. And um, so, and that that's a whole nother story. So, you know, I'm sure there's grieving of the loss of even the man that I knew. Um, but here's the thing that kind of made me actually sit my butt down and process. Um, the day of my brother's funeral, uh, which I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in Ghana. I wasn't able to go. I, you know, I went to work. Uh, and it turns out that that was the day that Michael Jackson died. Mm. And it was like, I could not get away from the discussion of death. Every TV. Every, and I mean, every TV, every radio, every side conversation. You know, Michael Jackson, but all I heard was death, death. And um, I had to go home. I had to go home. You know, so there's something about, you know, at, at some point you, you you can look at it like, oh, man, you know, how shitty is that luck about, uh, you know, these these coincidences, quote unquote. But in retrospect, you almost have to be grateful because I, I, I guess I'll wrap up this thought with this one thing. Uh, I once heard that you don't get over grief. Um, you learn how to go with grief. 
um, or loss. And, you know, people like, oh, you know, oh, you still on that? Like, yeah, because it's always going to be a part of my experience. Um, but I'm grateful for those moments that actually made me sit down and actually process it. So, you know, when we talk about, we, we thought about this topic, we knew the potential that it would be heavy. Um, to me, that's okay because it's valuable. But I, I think that there is a huge benefit here and I think it's a good note to end on. You know, Demetrius, one, well, two of the things that are impressive about you are one, how you let these horrible experiences that you went through, that sure, at some point we all go through, but you went through in a really, really short time frame early in your life. Um, you've since been able to, to kind of pick through your why and, and, and make some changes in the way that you process and how you manage, but also you've kind of changed the direction of your life's work. I want to know if you'd be willing to share a little bit about that. Um, Cause I think that there are good examples of how, you know, we don't avoid grief um, and we certainly don't hide from it, but if we lean into it, like you were talking about, um, there could be some really positive outcomes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I, two, two things like in regards to dealing with it better, uh, something that's definitely been just extremely helpful is meditation. And I've been consistently meditating for, I guess, about two years now. I dabbled in it a couple of times. We have a friend whose brother actually has written a couple books. Uh, some of you may know him. His name is Light Watkins. He's written a couple books. He's done some TED Talks. And so I, I, his first book was really kind of what got me going because I think it's called The Inner Gym. So, of course, I could relate to it in regards to working out. So it was like, you know, you got to work out your brain, too. So with meditation, um, I ended up doing a course a couple years back. And uh, the type of meditation that I do is three parts. It's mindfulness, meditation, and then manifestation. And so with the mindfulness, which is what a lot of people actually mean when they say meditation, mindfulness helps you deal with stress in the now. So let's say it's, um, you know, my dad's birthday or something. The mindfulness part of it where, you know, you kind of quiet yourself, you're paying attention to your breath. It kind of helps release the stress of the right now. Like, okay, yes, today is his birthday, but, you know, think about the good times you had when he was alive, thinking about you know, what he would like for you to do in life, blah, blah, blah. And then the meditation is uh, kind of helps you deal with stress in the past. So it's like a, like a detox almost. Mm. So, it, you know, you, you get quiet and, you know, that's, it's, the thoughts are going to come and go, but it's, it's really eye-opening to see, like, the thoughts that you had locked away that you didn't know were there. And, you know, they kind of come up during that meditation and then, you know, you're able to deal with it because like, oh, you know, I didn't even realize that's why I thought that way. And then the manifestation part, of course, is to, you know, what to, I, I think my teacher describes it as creating a life, uh, creating a perfect life you want to live or something like that. But basically putting out the energy of how you want to move forward and being specific about it. You know, so if you want to uh, live to be 116. Exactly. You know, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, like I, that's, and, and with the manifestation, you know, I meditate twice a day, every day, 
So, you know, you can change up your manifestation every single time. And so, of course, living to be 116 is is thrown in there sometimes. My kids being successful, um, you know, me wanting to change the world. And like, it's so you not only do you put it put it out there, you put the energy out there, and, but you then have to do the work, you know, because I, early on, one of the things that I really manifested was I want to stop being such a mess during that week of the 26th through the 8th. Like, you know, like I, cause I, I recognize that. I know that it's not good because I'm just quiet. Some days I would have to take off work because I just don't want to be around anybody, you know, wife, kids, nobody. Like I just want to sit and mope and, you know, but th- I think that was also because I hadn't necessarily completely dealt with the grief and leaned into it. And mm-hmm. once I started doing that, I realized that these people are still with me. Like, yeah, physically they're not here, but if, if I just quiet my mind, I can hear them giving it, me advice. I can hear them tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, don't do that. You know, like, so <laughs> I, I get that benefit of having access to them uh, spiritually anytime I want. But also, like, it's helped me in my career. So one of the, I, my, my dad, so let me be specific, my stepdad was diagnosed with prostate cancer back in 2017. So of course I freaked out. I didn't know anything about prostate cancer. Didn't know what it was. All I knew was that men had it. And immediately I'm triggered because I, you know, I've already lost one dad. I'm like, I'm not trying to lose another. Hmm. You know, he was only 59. So I freak out trying to figure out exactly as much as I can about prostate cancer. I'm sending him information constantly. And I got involved with this organization uh, called Zero, the end of prostate cancer. Um, so I ended up going to Capitol Hill, lobbying for more funding for uh, research within the Department of Defense. I started bugging my, uh, well, not bugging, but like advocating for uh, my local congressperson, my senators. Uh, I, I think every year I, I had a meeting with uh, Vice President Harris's team. Uh, so I got really involved with that. And you know, my dad started doing better but it was such an eye opener in regards to like the fact that it affects one in nine men, the mm-hmm. fact that it affects one in six black men, the fact that it affects one in five veterans. So being a veteran, being a black man and, you know, just like I'm like, if I don't know this and it's that prevalent, then I have to personally let other people know because I have the tools. I have a big mouth. I'm extremely persistent and I have the passion for health and wellness. And so I kind of took it upon myself, like I have to do this because I not only do I want to help humanity, but I don't want anybody to deal with the grief that I've dealt with. You know, I'm it's taken a long time for me to get to a point to where I can deal with it all in an okay manner. I don't want anybody else to have to uh, unexpectedly, uh, you know, deal with it or it, it, you know, it could possibly be prevented if you just get checked. Right. And so I've been a real bit advocate for them, uh, you know, for the past since 2017. And then, you know, during COVID, of course, we all got sat down and more a little bit more time to be in your thoughts. And so one of the things so I also write down my manifestations. So one of the things I wrote down was I want to work for zero. Like, I don't I don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't know in what capacity, but I want to work for zero. 
this is my passion. I'm good at it. I know I could be of some service to the organization. And so I started manifesting that. And I even applied for two positions that I knew I wasn't qualified for. But the point was to let management know that I, you know, this is my goal. Because they know me personally. They know me from my advocacy. Like they have my personal cell phone number. But I wanted them to know on a professional level, like this is what I want to do. This is what I think, uh, you know, to to use a a, a religious term, this is what I'm called for, Hmm. you know. Because uh, my dad always used to say, like, oh, you're going to be a preacher. I'm like, no, I'm not. But uh, <laughs> so this is what I know I'm called for. And to wrap things up, as of December 14th, I am the Southern California Chapter Director for Zero the End of Prostate Cancer. There it is. Wow. That's a testament, man. That's a testimony. So if, if people want to learn more about Zero or just connect with you, um, where would they go? We'll make sure there are links in the show notes, but. Absolutely. So with zero, it's real easy. It's zerocancer.org. Um, same thing with like their socials. And then um, my socials, I have two, but if, if you want to connect about prostate cancer, it's, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, all are at zero SoCal. Um, if you want to see random posts about nonsense. Uh, my personals are uh, Instagram is at Demetrius.key and Twitter is just at Demetrius Key. And, and just in case uh, you're out there being lazy, zero cancer, you actually have to write out zero. So it's Z-E-R-O-C-A-N-C-E-R. Yes. <laughs> it is. Dot it org. Is. So. Right. Yeah, because the whole point is, is kind of twofold. Like zero as in we want to create generation zero to have like no prostate cancer, but also one of the major tests for prostate cancer is a PSA. And you want that as close to zero as possible. Oh, nice. Nice. One of the things that we always do going out the door is just kind of circle a couple things or, or one thing that you're either looking forward to or something that's inspired you. Uh, Demetrius, you've been doing a lot of talking, so I'm gonna let you go last. Uh, Harris, what about you? So this week, um, I'm I'm looking forward to fixing a couple sewing machines, man. I don't know if I ever mentioned it on the show. One of my hobbies is uh, tailoring. And, um, you know, if you sew, one day your sewing machine going to start tripping. And um, so learned how to fix one. And then somebody asked me to fix another. Now my house is starting to look like a... Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a, a sewing repair shop. So um, I'm looking for, but it's 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 a Zen type of thing, man. Uh, just fixing them up, getting them going, getting them stitches right. Uh, so yeah, man, this week I definitely want to get some, um, some sewing machine repair time. That's what I'm looking forward to. Okay. So I had a great opportunity. Um, I had to buy new clothes. I, over the course of 2020, I, you know, decided I wanted to get serious about being a little healthier and uh, I dropped 50 pounds and dropping 50 pounds means them jeans don't fit no more. And so um, I, I had to, 
you know, and you're not trying to buy, you're not trying to replace stuff. Oh, for those who, who, who don't know me personally, one of the things that I used to say is I've been trying to lose 30 pounds for 20 years. So when your clothes don't fit no more, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's fine because one, you realize that you don't need a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and in a pandemic, you need even less. Um, but I got an opportunity to get a new suit. And, uh, you know, I still got a ways to go. But um, I'm, I'm inspired by, by my commitment to myself. Um, I know that's crazy. But as fathers, sometimes we we spend so much energy investing and, and making sure that we show up for, for other people. Um, I most frequently fail to show up for myself. And so um, I was excited um, by, um, by, you know, the opportunity of doing it. And, you know, Harris, you've been on a journey with me. Demetrius, you've been screaming at me for all of those 20 years. So um, it was yes, certainly a, um, a group effort, uh, but I get the suit. So uh, that's, that's nice. my thing. I, I was waiting. Uh, is it just having the suit or are you going you gonna to have like a little... You know, photo shoot for yourself. Like, we, listen, I gotta. I mean, find, you mentioned the suit. I gotta find a good tailor. See, <laughs> okay, okay. got you, dog. After that, you know, when 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 COVID lets me actually uh, leave the house in my suit, um, I can you know fi- uh, get, find somebody to tailor it up for me, <clears throat> and uh, you know we'll take it from there. Amen. I mean, I know a dude with a sewing machine. Hey, I know a dude who Seven. fixes sewing machines. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I think I might see fabric in the background. I, I don't know. You know, my camera's a little off. Hey, connect me when you get a chance, Key. Okay. <laughs> okay. Y'all are funny. Well, listen, this has been the Dad Jeans podcast. Um, wait, wait, wait. If, is Key gonna answer? I, I was if I was given an opportunity. <laughs> I mean, but, but this has been the Dad Jeans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, brother. <laughs> All right, so uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm looking forward to is actually a challenge for uh, February. Um, I ended up, uh, Zero's doing this, this challenge that is 2,800 push-ups uh, in 28 days. For you so, and 100 friends, right? <laughs> right. Um, so of course, you know, they're going through some kind of other marketing company. But like the thing is, typically 100 push-ups per day. And, you know, me being in the fitness industry uh, those years and just, you know, knowing a lot about health and fitness, that's not good. So at first I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll join. I was like, wait a minute, you know, like a hundred per day, like you're not giving yourself any rest. And so I was like, all right, I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to figure out a different way to do it uh, in regards to working it into my workouts. So I initially said, I'm going to do 200 every other day, hmm. but I'm also a stickler when it comes to number of sets, reps, and rest in between. Like if you're going to go high reps, you need to go high rest. So if you, you know, you don't need to go any more than 20 reps, no matter what Terrell Owens or anybody else tells you, you don't need hmm. to go higher than 20. Um, and if you go to 20, then you need four to five minutes rest in between. So you can work another body part or, you know, do active rest, but you need that rest. So, like I said, I said, all right, I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do 200 every other day. So last Saturday, I did, I wanted to see where I was at, where my baseline was. And so I was at 170 without falling on my face and feeling like my arms are going to explode. 
And so I, I did push-ups every other day since then. And I figured like, all right, it'll take a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll be ready by February. Yesterday, I did my 200. Wow. So I'm, now I'm looking forward to not only doing my 200, but also being able to add additional uh, cardio within the workout because I want to keep it. I like to keep my workouts to an hour. And so I'm looking forward keep to- Keep it to an hour. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So I'm looking forward to uh, the fact that I've already got the 200 on lock, but then also being able to add random other stuff to it. And I will let you get the last word because I see you got something to say. <laughs> Bruh, if, if somebody kicked in my door with a gun <laughs> and said, you got one hour to get me 200 push-ups, I would lay down and take a nap. I'm like, listen, we just going to have to have a fight to my death 59 minutes from now because I'm not going to even try. Harris and I will definitely check in on you. Yeah. I'm Because I'm going to need to see some video proof. We might even have to do a Zoom, uh, a special Zoom episode of you doing your, your 200. All right. It'll be an hour. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. I mean, I'm not going to watch the whole time, but if I can get it on video... <laughs> You know, I'm actually, maybe eating I, a bowl I can of cereal while you're doing it and do that little hyperlapse video. Yeah, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah well, nah, nah, Harris. He, he, he said he dealt with computers for the military. We need to make sure it's not on a loop after like 10. <laughs> Why does like, the clock man, keep going like, backwards? Yo, his form is amazing. You weren't supposed to remind him of that. By he the way. sneezes at the same point, though, every, every eight time. push ups, <laughs> 90 degrees on them elbows. <laughs> well, listen. <laughs> okay. As I said it before, this has been the Dad Jeans Podcast. Whatever the title was, it is now going to be Leaning Into Grief, starring Demetrius Keith, <laughs> with, with Harrison Dedon. Um, we thank you. It's been a while, but we appreciate all of the feedback that you always give us. You yes. can always email us at info at dadjeanspodcast.com. Our IG and Facebook handles are at Dad Jeans Podcast. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on iTunes. Give us that review. Share us with a friend. If you don't like it, share us anyway. Lie, tell him that you did. We thank Brian for checking in. We know that he's doing the best that he can. And we wish him and the family the very best. On behalf of Harris and Demetrius, stay safe, stay sane, and stay away from the Capitol. Yeah. (laughs) We get each other again. For real. Peace. Peace. Y'all enjoy y'all week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a good one. <laughs>